Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 290. Next time they see you at a trade show, they're going to come over because they already know what your new product is and they know they want to come and see it, buy it, try it on, taste it. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, Gift Biz Gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue. And as we enter into this month of thankfulness and gratitude, I want to tell you how much you mean to me. I appreciate each note, email, and review I get telling me how this show has helped you either start or add to your business. Thank you. Thank you for that. If you've been following me this last month or so, you know I'm super excited about and promoting Facebook shops these days in a big way. Why? Because it's a huge opportunity for you if you're thinking of turning your hobby or craft into a business, but haven't taken that first step yet. You can start selling your products without having your own website, without knowing about shopping carts, shipping methods, or any of the things that typically prevent people from starting. Just think, you could begin making money with your handmade products this holiday season. And if you're enjoying that extra income and sharing your products with others, you can expand into a more formal business next year. I show you exactly how to do this in my program, Set Up and Sell in Facebook Shops. I made the program super affordable, so it's completely doable. You can be up and running within just a few days. I take you not just through the step-by-step on how to get your shop created, but then how to attract people to buy from you. But time is running out to gain traction for the holidays for this year. So stop this podcast, I give you permission, and sign up now. Check out all the details over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash Facebook shops. Now today, I am taking you across the pond, as they say, to talk with an email marketing expert. Did you know that email signups and sales are as strong today as they were five years ago? I know this gets lost with all the focus on social media. An email marketing plan adds strength to your business that being on Facebook, Instagram, or any other social media site simply can't match. And make sure to listen all the way through because the final topic we cover is how to create a plan for email marketing. This plan will get you to make a transition. Goodbye thinking and hello doing. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Chloe Thomas of eCommerce Master Plan. Chloe has been working in direct marketing since 2001. It started with focus on in-store loyalty programs, catalog mailings, and email marketing. From there, she brought several established mail order businesses into the internet age, launching websites, first ever email campaigns, as well as Google AdWords and affiliate marketing. Following her success there, Chloe transitioned her experience into a marketing agency all its own. 
She expanded into B2B marketing and sales and learned more about retail and e-commerce by working with everyone from Wall Street retailers to pure play online startups. In 2012, Chloe realized her future was in helping e-commerce businesses work out what marketing they should be doing. So e-commerce master plan was born. Chloe, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hello, Sue. How are you? I am wonderful, and I'm so glad you're here. And we are going to be talking and diving into email marketing today, which is something that I know will perk up all my listeners' ears. So I really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Well, it's exciting to be here. And uh, I love talking about e-commerce. I love helping people get started. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. I'm going to delay all of that goodness for just a second because I want to learn a little bit more about you from a different angle, and that is through a motivational candle. This is a creative way that really resonates with all of our listeners because we're all creatives here. So we get to see a little bit of a different side to you, Chloe. So if you were to share with us what a motivational candle would look like by color and quote that really speaks to you, what would it look like? Okay, so it's going to be two colors it's gonna be pink and it's gonna be blue kind of vertically separated the top half's blue the bottom half's pink and the words on it are going to be keep optimizing which has been my personal mantra for probably five or six years now it's actually and i don't normally mention this but because you've got a crafting audience i think i feel i have to It's actually cross-stitched in a design I've done with a big tree that sits halfway down my staircase. Every time I walk down the stairs, I see keep optimizing in cross-stitch on the wall. So I kind of figured this same idea with your candle here. And the reason why is my personal mantra is because it does two things for me. One, it reminds me that nothing's ever finished and you have to keep going back and improving and improving. But it also reminds me that nothing's ever perfect. And therefore, at some point, you have to put it live. And I am historically awful at trying to make things perfect before I put them live. And as I think everyone listening will know, is that that's a route to never really achieving anything. So that was what my candle would be. Yeah, and so true to our audience, too, because it's also you want to keep perfecting what you've made. Just one more little tweak or a little more color there or, oh, the stitch way back wasn't quite perfect, so I've got to go fix it. And at some point, you just have to say, good enough is good enough. Let's sell this baby. (laughs) Exactly. And until you put it on sale, until you put it out there, you don't know what the real problems are because... It doesn't really matter what you think. It matters what your customers think. And every time you do this and you actually put it out there, you suddenly discover the thing you thought was going to be the bestseller, nobody wants. And the thing you didn't think was going to be the bestseller, everybody loves, which is why you've got to put it out there because then you get the feedback you can use to actually optimize. Oh my gosh, so true. It's really heartbreaking to me. And I'll be curious if you see this. I think you do just by what you were saying is that there's so much time, prep time put together, making a lot of product because they just know that this is going to be the big seller or putting up a website that includes that product, all of the background stuff. And let's face it, even though tech is always an issue, it's a lot more comfortable to do work behind your desk when it's just you and the work versus getting out there in front of people and actually seeing if it's going to sell. But so to get back to my point, it's so heartbreaking when people spend so much time there and then they actually get to the point of selling and it isn't what anybody wants. Yeah, it's awful. I've got a friend slash client at the moment who is working on launching a site where she's selling her artwork on products. So mugs, bags, phone cases being the 
case in point. So she's licensing her artwork? She's doing it via her own Shopify store. So her artwork on, I think, Direct Dispatch products, but I haven't got into that bit of it with her. But she emailed me today going, oh, I'm so close to going live, but I've got to reformat every picture for all 30 phone case sizes. Like, we don't even know which pictures people want to buy yet. Why don't you just do the top three best-selling phones and ignore the other 27 covers, save two hours of your life, and then if one's selling or if a customer's are messaging you and going, why can't I get it for my Google Nexus? Then you bother to create the one for the Google Nexus. But we get this completion, this perfection idea, and it stops us from putting it out there. And nine times out of the 10, the customers don't care that it's not finished. And the customers will send you in a completely different direction to the one you thought you should be going in anyway. So yeah, I see it a lot and it frustrates me too. And I'm going to raise my hand. I've been guilty of doing that too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm totally guilty of it as well. (laughs) Completely. Yeah. I mean, whether it's online programs or actual products, I think it's just human nature. Once you recognize it, that's the first step to solving it and not doing it. So like I'm really big right now, Chloe, on Facebook shops over here. It's a big deal right now in the U.S. It just came about. People can start Facebook shops and test their products there and see, to your point, what's actually selling without a lot of investment, without building a big website up yet, all of that. And then once you see what's working, then you take the next step. This is like golden information right from the top, Chloe. I try. I'm equally bad. There's at least two projects I can think of right now that I should have put live by now that I'm procrastinating on. And sometimes my procrastination is is just thinking, not even getting anything done. It's why it's written halfway down my stairs in cross-stitch. So every time I walk past, I go, yes, Chloe, keep optimizing. Actually go and get it done. Put it live. See what the feedback is, then improve it. There you go. All right, Wesla, the next time you walk by up or down the stairs, I want you to think of us and our conversation right here. And maybe that'll jolt you to action. That'll be your trigger. Sue says. You're going to feel guilty (laughs) until you do it. (laughs) We can always use the little pushes, right? So I think you're talking about with Keep Optimized, and I just want to add one more point, is the perfection is one thing. Remind me, what was the other reason, the optimizing? One is to stop being a perfectionist and just put it live. And the other one is to remember to revisit it and make it better because that kind of speaks to that angle where I see this a lot with Facebook ads in particular is someone, they spend £10 on a Facebook ad it doesn't work and they write off Facebook ads forever. And it's like, no, you learn from that and you reiterate and you try again and you try again. And often you're not going to get great success the first time, but if you keep optimizing it, then that's your pathway to great success. So it's kind of sticking at it, but also getting it live sooner. Yeah, totally agree. And the other thought, I wanted to come back to this point because the other thing I thought of while you were talking about this is the world also continues to change. And so you also have to make sure that your products stay relevant to phone cases like you were talking about. When phones go out of style and the sizes aren't available anymore, you need to make sure that you're updating what's available so people will still want it. It's still saleable. All right. Well, let's talk about email marketing. (laughs) Let's just dive right in here. What role do you feel email marketing plays? Now, let's just specifically talk product-based businesses here. What role does that play? Because I think a lot of people will say, well, I'm out at craft shows or people walk into my shop. Why do I need email? Well, it's for so many reasons. But the core of it is it's your ability to communicate with your customer in a marketing channel that you are in control of. 
So yes, they can like you on Facebook. Yes, they can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, etc. But on each of those platforms, you're at the whim of the algorithm, whether or not someone actually sees your message. You can't send a message to everyone you're connected to on Facebook and them actually see it. It just doesn't happen when you put up those page posts. But when you send out an email, it gets delivered. Caveat here, email deliverability, not getting into that today, but basically it all does get delivered to the people who've signed up. So it's your way of communicating with them, telling them what's new, telling them your story, building trust and a relationship with them. So the next time they're in the local mall and they walk past your store, they walk in because they know what's going on. They know more about you. They feel more connected with you. They're not going to walk past your store. They're going to come in. Next time they see you at a trade show, they're going to come over because they already know what your new product is and they know they want to come and see it, buy it, try it on, taste it, etc. So it's really just another touch point and a touch point that you are way more in control of, I would say, too, Mm -hmm. because let's say it's a craft show or a farmer's market. Someone might only go one time, but what if they bought your product and loved it and then they wanted to know how to get back in touch with you because they want more? Exactly. It's giving them a way of connecting with you to find out. And it could be you're in that situation where they've come in and they've gone, oh man, I really like that. Have you got it in this size? Have you got it in this color? Yes, we do normally, but at the moment I'm out of stock. Mm -hmm. That's them gone. But you can say to them, sign up to our email newsletter and you'll know when it's back in stock and you'll know when we bring it out in 20 other colors for next year or whatever it is we're doing. So it enables you, even for those who aren't yet buying, it enables you to build that relationship and that connection. So as once they're ready to buy, well, actually, quite frankly, it accelerates them on being ready to buy because then they feel that connection and that emotional link to you and to your business. Right. And how do you feel? I mean, I know these days when someone wants my email, I'm very reluctant to give it to them because it's like, okay, now I'm going to be getting a ton of emails from you. They're all going to be probably sales emails. I like your product, but I don't like it every week, every day. And I'm trying to keep my inbox manageable. (laughs) So (laughs) do you have any clues or tips for us on ways to collect email addresses where people are so interested, they are ready to give it to you? They can't wait to give the address. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, you need to not think that everyone's unwilling to sign up because sign up rates are still as strong as they were five years ago. Email performance and sales are still as strong as it was five years ago. So I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking this is how I do it. So that's how everyone else does. So people, if they're interested, they're intrigued, often email will be the first step before they're willing to give you money. So they give you their email address to see if they can trust you with that before they're willing to give you their money, which obviously is a far more committed (laughs) point where they start handing over cold hard cash. So I think as though people want to sign up, but then of course there's lots that we can do to encourage them to sign up. We've got kind of the incentivization side of it. So things like running competitions, we've got 10% off, free PMP or free shipping, all these things that we can do to incentivize the sign up. But I would always start without the incentive because until you know how many people you can get to sign up, when you're just saying, we're going to send you interesting stuff, and I will expand on that shortly, I promise. Until you know what percentage of people you get to sign up then, you won't know if offering a discount or free shipping or the competition, the cost of that is worth it. 
Because what you don't want to do is to accidentally give 10% off to everyone when actually just as many people would have signed up if you hadn't have been giving them 10% off. Because that 10% off you've sweated and laboured over and you deserve, quite frankly. (laughs) Right, it comes right off of your margin. Exactly. Any promotion you run is always about getting the customer to do what you want them to do as cheaply as possible. And if we don't need to give them 10% off to get our email address, then we shouldn't give them 10% off. You've got to start with a no offer one. And that means giving them a compelling reason to sign up. So often people get hung up on what we see in the info world, which is white papers or PDF downloads and that kind of thing. That is, doesn't work as well in the e-commerce space. What you need to do is you need to think of what's going to be valuable to that person. Why is it they want to buy from you? So it could be, I have a friend who runs a fish business. So they're a fishmonger, online fishmonger. And their email sign up has a picture of boss of the business who knows all about fish. So it's immediately got that human connection because right next to the email sign up, there's a picture of the fishmonger. Then they have little bubbles which say recipe ideas, because if you're buying fish, you want some ideas of what to do with your fish. It says latest news from our fishermen. So they're going to get that as well. So you're just giving them these kind of like little bite sized bits of what they're going to get if they sign up. You can also do some call it like monthly or weekly. So you take away that fear that it's going to just fill up the inbox. But then you are obviously committing to only messaging that on that kind of time frame. So think about the sort of things someone would want to know about from you, the sort of things you're going to be sending them and make that clear around your newsletter sign up. And that can do a huge amount to increase the number of signups you're getting. Yes. And I would also agree that setting the expectation that I'm going to be emailing you weekly or monthly or whatever it is with the enticement, like you're talking about. I love that example, by the way, because I would sign into that immediately. I'd be so <laughs> yeah. interested. And it's not selling. It's using their product, but not selling, which I absolutely love. What are the rules, though, around when someone opts in, don't you have to tell them that they are signing up for regular communication with you? Yes, there are email rules and we need to follow them. We'll get into that right after a word from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Yeah, you need to be aware of whatever the legislation is in the area you're in, which is a complex, complex area at the moment. But the rough rule of thumb that everyone seems to be going by is that so long as you make it clear that they're signing up to receive marketing communications from you, which could be a line as simple as sign up to receive our newsletter. It could be text next to it, which just says, by signing up, you will receive marketing communications about our products 
If you're going to do it that way, I would add in two very important messages which encourage people to sign up. One is we will never give your email address to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And the second one is you can unsubscribe at any time. So they know they're going to be able to exit again. And you should also have a link to your privacy policy close by. And that's mainly based on the European GDPR legislation, but that's very, very similar to what's being rolled out in various parts of the US as well now. Right. So you're setting expectations and then they're also in control of their future. You're not like latching on to them forever if they don't want to be there. I think the other thing I want to bring up, and I'm bringing it up because I have been guilty of this myself, (laughs) is if you do some type of a contest or a sweepstakes for a prize with the goal of collecting email addresses, you want to make sure that that prize is something that relates to your customer long term. Oh, yes. Or else you're going to get potentially thousands, like I did, of email submissions, and the majority of them just wanted to win something, but would never really become your customer. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be giving away an Amazon voucher. You want to be giving away one of your product or something very closely aligned to your product. I think even when you do that, you'll still get a lot of people who aren't going to convert. So I think if you're going to, competitions are brilliant. I'm not saying anything against competitions. But the other thing I would do, as well as making sure that the prize is your product, is I would make sure that you kind of track those respondents separately. So you see how that list performs separately to how the rest of your database performs and that you maybe only send it a couple of emails with really big links to unsubscribe. So you encourage those who are never going to buy from you to, quite frankly, go away and get off your list. But I'd also make sure that you're sending them really high quality content, those first few messages you send them. So as then you're giving yourself the best possible opportunity of someone who saw a friend posting free competition, enter now, and they just entered. They then get a series of emails from you that explain who you are, why your product's great, why they should buy from you. So as then they're qualified to make a decision about whether they want to be on your list or not. Okay, I'm going to put myself to a test and you're going to judge me, okay? Okay. And total truth. Total truth. If you want to say, Sue, you are so wrong, then go for it. Okay. So my very favorite is what you said about that fishmonger is exchanging an email address for something that relates to your product that is an enhancement to the product. So I like to use the example of if you sell scarves different ways you can use your scarves, different ways to tie it or how to take care of it or things like that. Or candles could be how do you ensure that you get the most out of your candle as possible or places to put your candle that will affect your mood or, you know, who knows what it is, but enhances and adds on to the value of purchasing your product. So that's my first favorite thing. My second favorite is offering some type of a discount when they purchase. So saying, sign up for email marketing, just like what we talked about before, and I'll send you a coupon code off your first purchase. So they're not able to use that discount unless you have the email. So in a way, you're paying for the email, but you get them on the list and you get the sale at the same time. What do you think of both of those? Your first example about 10 ways to tie a scarf I think I would start off with that one, see what kind of response you get. So how many people who come to your website, who who come to your store, come to your stand, what percentage of them sign up? 
I do that for a month. And then the next month, the next event, etc. I would test the 10% off your first order and see how much of a difference that makes to both the number of people you get signed up and then the number of people who sign up who then go on to purchase. Because quite often that adding the discount, it increases the speed at which someone goes from signing up to buying mm. more than it increases the number of people who sign up. And if that giving away that discount is worth it to you, and often it is, then carry on with it. If it's not, then go back to purely the compelling message. And I think I just wanted to add something else because I thought of something else when you were saying about that scarf idea in particular. If, for example, you're selling scarves and you have his five ways to wear our scarf, you could do it as a rather than as a download or as a single email as a five email series. So like you're signing up kind of to training. So you get a series of five emails, each of which shows how to tie the scarf a different way. And then you're able to get in that inbox multiple times with something the person's expecting. And you're able to really go into depth on those five different ways of tying it, which, as you said, could work for any product, you know, candles, how your candle, the best ways to position a candle in every room of your house, because then you're going to sell more candles, quite frankly, if you've explained to them how to put it in the downstairs bathroom, how to use it in the garage, how to use it in the kitchen, they're suddenly going to want them all over the house. So there's ways of doing it where you could turn it into kind of almost a newsletter training mechanism to get them to sign up. Yeah, I like that idea. It also is conditioning them that when they open emails from you, there's something really good inside. So they're starting that repetitive behavior with your email specifically. Yeah, and it proves that you're going to give them that high quality content, which is highly linked to your product. Right. But it's showing you know your product, you know how people are using it, you know the customer. It gives them ways to connect with you. And I keep saying about connection and emotion, and it's one of the most powerful ways to sell. And those of you out there who are making your own products, who are designing your own products, you are better at this than most retailers. This is your, I was going to say your kryptonite, but that's completely the wrong metaphor. Completely wrong. This is your kind of power, is that you already know how to build a personal relationship with your customers because they're coming into your store. You're dealing with them directly on social media. They're coming to your stand at the craft fairs. So you know the sort of things they want to hear from you. You know about building a relationship so they come back and buy again. Email marketing is just another way of doing that. So the more you can put yourself out there and you can give them that great advice that you would give them if they walked into your store or up to your stand, the more you're going to build that relationship virtually to increase the size of your online business. We really need to be thinking about email as just another touch point with our audiences. And Chloe, no surprise what's happened this year. Anybody who 100% was relying on brick and mortar for the most part, but then also we have a lot of people here who go just from craft show to craft show to craft show, especially through the good weather seasons, depending Mm -hmm. on where they live. We're totally shut down for some time this year. And I had an opportunity a few weeks ago. We have a very well-known, very upscale art show that happens in my community. And I went over there. It was limited spacing, social distancing, Mm -hmm. temperature when you go in, you know, like the whole thing. But I was talking to a lot of these artists and they said, yeah, we've never done email before in our life. And we wish we would have been all this time because we wouldn't have lost so much momentum. They had emails from people they had sold to in the past, but not others who were anticipating buying the next time they saw them at a show or something. Because when all the shows had to go dark, they were stuck. So I think the mentality of email is one layer. Customer contact is a great layer. It gives you way more information to enhance your emails better, but it all works together. 
It does. And sometimes it can feel with email like you're just sending something out into the ether and nothing's happening because on social you get the likes and the comments and all the rest of it. So you kind of immediately get feedback. But email is still having a big impact. It's still getting people to know, like, understand your brand. And if you want to hear back from people, put in your email, reply and let me know what you think. Let me know what you want more of. So you can, you know, if you're think, feeling it's a bit cold, you can easily encourage that two-way comms when you're doing email, just like you would on Facebook or Pinterest, etc. Yeah. And I've heard that having people reply to your emails increases the deliverability of your emails too. It does. Yeah. So I glossed over deliverability earlier. So deliverability is all about getting your email into someone's inbox. So we all have that thing where there's someone, a retailer we like hearing from. And then all of a sudden we feel like we haven't seen their emails in a while. And then we check our spam folder and all of a sudden all their emails have gone into the spam folder. That's because their deliverability has decreased. And deliverability is basically based on the reputation of where the black box that your emails are flying out of. If you use MailChimp, your MailChimp black box. If you use Klaviyo, the black box at Klaviyo. And that reputation is predominantly based on how people react to your emails. To yours specifically or your provider? Like I use what used to be Infusionsoft, now Keep. Is it their overall reputation or your own reputation as a business using that platform? It's a mixture of the two. But these days, most of the sending platforms are very good at managing deliverability on your behalf, because obviously, if their deliverability went through the floor, they'd lose all their customers. So technically speaking, it comes down to the reputation of you and the other people who are sending from the same black box as you, because unless you're a huge company, there'll be multiple people coming out of the same black box. And behind the scenes at companies like those we mentioned, and I haven't double checked that each of them do this, but I'd be very surprised if they don't. They have kind of like a hierarchy of black boxes. And the better your sender reputation, yours personally, the better black box you'll end up on. Got it. And if you're misbehaving a lot, they'll put you on the lower list, which is one of the reasons I said about when you run the big surveys, encourage people to unsubscribe in those first few messages after the competition. Sorry, not survey, competition. Because you want them off your list quickly, because otherwise in six months time, they might hit spam because they've forgotten they signed up. And that's a really bad sign for your sender reputation. Good signs for your sender reputation are people opening and reading your emails and people replying to you is another great sign for your sender reputation. So that was a very long-winded answer to say, yes, asking people to reply to your emails is a good thing. And we're working on getting better at cleaning our lists on a regular basis. I have two different businesses, so we have two separate lists. We've cleaned one, now we're working on the other one. And oh my gosh, it breaks my heart that I have people on a list, and the number's pretty big, who have not opened an email in six months, let's say. But it's in my best interest to get rid of them, right? I mean, if they didn't open for six months, most likely they're not being seen, is my guess. Because let's face it, Chloe, my information is so awesome. If people see it, they're going to open. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But you're right. It's like, if you're being a good emailer and you're putting things out there which are interesting, and they're not going out there weekly or going out there monthly and they haven't opened in a long time, then they're probably what I still call emotionally dormant or emotionally unsubscribed. They're just ignoring you every time you come in. What I tend to do with mine is every month or so, I will send something really, really strong out to everyone. So occasionally I run a 99 pence Kindle book event with a number of different business authors. 
And I think that's a really strong message that people are probably going to be quite interested in. So that email I'll send out to the whole database that I'm legally allowed to send to. So everyone who hasn't unsubscribed just to try and reactivate a few of those emotionally dormant. But most of the time I'm not sending to them. And usually it's going to be when you do this for the first time, do not be freaked out that it's probably going to be more than 50 percent of your database that you're suppressing. That's normal and it's okay. They weren't buying. They weren't spending money anyway. Right. And I actually feel like a lot of them aren't seeing. I mean, I'll go into, I use Gmail. So if I go into my promotion folder, there is so much goodness there. I'm like, wait, I want this. I want this. I want this. But I don't go in and look at my promotion folder every day. I forget. And for those of you guys who are listening and you're using Gmail, go into your promotion folder. You are going to see some gifts there because there are people you want to know about. And the way to fix that is you just move them into your primary folder from your promotion folder. Yeah, just drag them over. Just drag them over. So I honestly feel like a lot of them just end up there. But this is, I guess, all to the point of cleaning and making sure that your list is relatively active. And by saying that, what kind of open rates do you suggest we be looking for? Sue, can I give one last tip on keeping things active? Oh, yes. Because I'm aware that I'm guessing the majority of your audience are quite gift-focused businesses. So the end of the year is very, very important for them. So yes, you should be making those dormant lists, suppressing those people who aren't responding to your emails. But do not forget that a lot of your customers are only interested in you between September and December of the year. Or if you have a great Mother's Day, they're interested at Mother's Day time or Father's Day time or Valentine's. So just be aware that you will probably be running a suppression maybe January, February, March kind of time when you're out of your core season. But if you listen to what I was saying about emailing everyone when you've got something big on, don't suppress them in January and not email them anything till September because that's a long gap, which is bad for your deliverability because someone over nine months, someone's probably going to have forgot they've signed up. So if you're going to suppress them, do send them and want to email them all when Christmas goes live, then make sure you've sent them something maybe every other month in between just to keep them a little bit warm and just so they can remember who you are when you're doing it. Because I'd hate for you to have a sudden drop off in performance in September because you suddenly email all the people you haven't emailed all year and a load of them hit spam. I would hate for that to happen. So do keep them a little bit warm through the year if you're going to mail them when you get to Christmas. Excellent point. I'm really glad you added that in. And so what would be the parameters when you're just going to drop them from your list? I would be looking at someone who hasn't, like you were saying, hasn't opened in six months. If you're emailing weekly, if you're emailing monthly, I'd probably go as far as nine months. And probably if someone hasn't done anything in three years, I'd probably never do any, actually probably two years, actually, I wouldn't ever mail them again. Because you kind of got the soft dormancy and then you've got the hard dormancy. All right, that's really good direction. Now, I was mentioning earlier that I use Keep, and I would not really ever recommend that for anybody (laughs) who's in the maker business selling a product. I just think it's overkill. I use it because I have double companies, just a lot of different reasons I'm using it. What would you suggest and what would you recommend someone look at as they're analyzing different types of email platforms that are out there? I used to be an Infusionsoft partner many years ago, which obviously was the previous version of Keep. So yes, I wouldn't recommend a retailer to use it, but it's an amazing system. 
Yes, it is. I'm too entrenched. That's my thing. <laughs> Plus, they are working well for me. So I'll go with that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If it's working well for you, then you should always stick with it. Only, I think one of the things which it can be quite easy with these kind of tech platforms is you see something exciting and new, and then you spend a huge amount of time and effort migrating to it. But actually, there was nothing wrong with your original system. Just because it's new doesn't mean you should necessarily shift. But that's completely off the topic of what I'm supposed to be answering. So platforms I would look at. MailChimp is very solid. If all you want to do is send out newsletters and mini welcome campaigns, there's little follow-ups we were talking about with the scarf methods, etc. Then MailChimp will give you what you want. If you want to take it up a level, then the two platforms I'd take a look at are Omnisend, which is O-M-N-I-S-E-N-D.com, and Clavio, which is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. I know there's a V, but they say it, say it clay confusing. Those are the two which will enable you to start with all the right tech in place and all the right stuff you can do. They make it very easy for you to build up your content and your automations as you become cleverer at what you're doing. And they also grow with you. So as you can start integrating with your Facebook ads, so you can kind of real time sync your audiences between the two platforms. And you can bolt on SMS and push notifications and all kinds of stuff to those two platforms. Those are the two which I would take a look at if you want to do something more advanced. But if you know in your heart of hearts, all you're going to do for the time being is get people signed up and send them a newsletter once a week or once a month. MailChimp's going to give you everything you need. And depending on your list size, you might be able to get it for free. And migrating from MailChimp onto more advanced packages is really straightforward and often they'll do all the work for you. So that shouldn't be too much of a leap for you when you get there. Okay. If someone has been emailing for a while, I know for a long time the go-to platform was Constant Contact. Is that an okay platform to just stick with if you're already up and running with it? Or are there things that these others that you suggest, well, let's just talk MailChimp because I think Constant Contact and MailChimp are pretty similar. Yeah. Fundamentally, if the platform you're on at the moment is giving you what you need, then don't shift. If you can see something on another platform that you think you could use that you can't do on the platform you're currently on and that you think you would A, use and B, would drive you revenue, then change or it would save you time, then change. But don't try and find solutions to problems that don't exist. If you've not got a problem, don't shift. If constant contact, you're on it and it's working for you, then awesome. Stick with constant contact. As I said, pretty much all of them are very, very good at deliverability. And that is the number one thing you are getting from your email service provider is deliverability. And all of them are great at enabling you to send newsletters and to sign people up. So unless there's something you're missing that you want to do that you believe will make your business better, stick with where you are. And there always is an ability to export all of your contacts if you were ever to move anywhere. So you're not putting time investing in gathering contacts, kind of like on social media, if you're in Facebook and then you get in Facebook jail and your account is dropped, you lose all of your followers. That's not the same way with email. So I would say, especially this time of year, ramping into the holidays, focus on getting more people on your list versus looking at changing to a different method. Oh, Yeah, this is not the time of year to be switching tech. (laughs) (laughs) Stick for now. And in your off season, that's when you should be looking at, right, I've got a week I can spend working on something and researching something. And at that point, go, what is the biggest thing that's missing? What's the biggest opportunity or what's the biggest problem to solve? And then focus on that one. Most of the platforms will help you to migrate and they all have really good how to's and all that kind of stuff. So there's some amazing platforms out there. But if all you're doing is sending those newsletters, getting the signups, stick with where you are unless you've got a problem. 
Okay, so in talking and knowing my audience pretty well, I think they really understand why email could be important, but it's figuring out what to put in those emails that's the hurdle. I'd be interested in your thinking, what do we do when we don't know what to do or we're uncomfortable or we're not sure if we're doing it right? We do nothing. (laughs) So I think there are a lot of people out there who have started an email list. Maybe it's only their customers because clearly they have email lists of customers. Hopefully, I can't say that guaranteed all the time, but mostly, but they've never really started anything in terms of a consistent plan. What would be the first steps? I laughed when you said that because a couple of years ago, I wrote, I think it was 18 ways to break newsletter broadcast block. So I won't give you all 18 now, but I'll give you the key tenets because it's been a perennial problem. It was a problem way back in the early 2000s when I was sending my first emails. You kind of go, oh, God, what are we going to say this week? You know, it's like that Monday morning problem. Oh, no, I've got to send an email. What am I going to tell people? So my first tip for breaking this block is to have a promotional calendar. So a spreadsheet which has the weeks across the top and has your different marketing methods down the left-hand side, okay? So each column is a week. And the first row you're gonna put in that is what's happening in your business. So if you're going to a craft fair, put that in. If it's when you're gonna launch your Christmas range, put that in. If it's when you're on holiday, put that in, because for smaller businesses, that's really important to go on that calendar. And once you've got the stuff you're doing as a business in, add another row, And the next row is going to be big things happening in the world that relate to your business. So when Christmas is, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day, International Honey Lover's Day, if there's such a thing, and you sell honey, anything which relates to your business, which could be something which you want to drive some promotions and drive some sales around. So that gives you kind of the shape of your year. And then the next row is going to be your email marketing row, where you're going to put in what you're going to talk about each week. And you start off by filling in the big stuff, which is the stuff based on those two rows you've already had. So if Father's Day is big for you, then bear in mind you've got to be able to ship it, which obviously if you've got a physical store, you've got a bit longer because people can come in on the day and buy something. But work out what messages you're going to send about Father's Day. Maybe you're going to do one which is last minute Father's Day gifts or how to buy for the man who has no idea what he wants or the man who has everything. And fill those in and do the same for Christmas, for your sale, for your five-year anniversary of being in business. Whatever those things are, fill those in. You will probably find that that's half your year filled with email topics. So then we just have the rest of it to fill in. And for this, I would go to what are your best sellers? What are the key stories that people like from your business? What do people always talk to you about when they come in? Do an email about that. What are the best-selling products? What's the story behind your product? And just sit down, have a bit of a brainstorm about all the things you'd like to tell someone about your business and then work out where they slot into it. Now, ideally, I'd do this for a full 12 month period. But if you only have the energy to do it for three months, I understand. But that will give you kind of a sketch of what to say in, at different points in time, which means that when you get to Monday, you're like, oh, God, we've got to send an email. What are we going to say? You don't have to start off from, oh, my God, what am I going to say? You start off from going, oh, look, I wrote down that this week I should be talking about how we source the yarn for our scarves. And once I know I'm talking about that, then that's going to spark you with some ideas of, oh, yes, we had that picture sent in of the sheep on farm XYZ. 
let's put in the picture of the sheep. Let's talk about the sheep and the yarn and everything. And all of a sudden, it's so much easier because you have that nugget of an idea straight away. So, and I would also keep a piece of paper or a Google Doc where you write down ideas when they come to you because often, I certainly find when I'm away from the desk is when I come up with my best ideas. And then when I need them, I've forgotten where I've written them. So it's just a notepad of email ideas or blog post ideas really helps when you've got those moments of block. Yeah, I would also add, I think, shows that you're going to because you know when those oh, are so you, and pictures yeah. of being at those shows or making sure that people know in those areas that you're at those shows. So something like that. If they're not in the area, tell them, watch my Facebook because I'll be doing some lives right from my booth. Things like that I'm thinking you could do. Exactly. Another point for contact that came to mind as you were talking is what are people asking you all the time about the product? What are the questions Mm. that come in? Those could be separate topic emails also, right? That's perfect. I'm seeing now that you could do like next week we're going to be at this show if you can't make it blah 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 if you can xyz and put all that information in then you kind of have a this week we're at where you talk about maybe the key products you're taking with you or look we've just packed the car here's all the great things which are coming with us yeah and then the week after the event you can go we had a great time at this event this product was really popular link to buy it on the website because we love to know what other people want to buy best sellers are always the more something sells the more something will sell if you tell people about it then you could encompass in that ask this really interesting question so I thought I'd give you all the answer that's three whole weeks taken care of for just one event oh my gosh that's brilliant yes I love it I think one of the plays to one of the problems I think we all have with content is that we go, oh, there's an event. We'll include it in an email. It's like, no, an event could be three emails. We often squeeze a piece of content down into just one thing when actually, if you think about it, you can extrapolate it out into lots. So this is totally opposite of dieting. You want to expand (laughs) (laughs) what you're doing. Kind of like the suggestion that you gave about the tips for scarf tying into five emails. Yeah, exactly. Same type of thing with email. How can you expand a topic further? Then weekly doesn't sound as hard because quite honestly, as you were giving examples and laying out the calendar, I'm thinking people are cringing for weekly. Maybe we should start monthly, but this makes it easier to do weekly. Yeah, it does. How long do the emails need to be? As long as you need to get the message across, which I know is a hideous answer. And you'll all be going, oh, that's so annoying. But if you're doing an email, which is we're going to be at this show, then literally headline, we're going to be at this show, picture of show or product or something, details of where the show is. And if you can't make it to the show, make sure you're following us on Facebook. We'll be live streaming. That's quite a short email that doesn't take a lot of content or copy. If you're, for example, like a banker email for when you can't think of anything else is to just send one, which is our top five best selling products. It will work and it's really quick and easy to put together. That is literally going to be our top five best selling products headline, five products with links through to the website. It doesn't have to be long or complicated. And I think if it gets very long, then you're probably better off putting the content on the website as a blog post and then linking people through to the blog and just giving them a taster. Yes, which is perfect, too, because you can, if you're blogging, there's a week right there, too. Mm -hmm. And that, I would suggest, could be a repetitive email every six, seven months. Yeah, most popular blog posts, our newest blog posts are, have you, what have you missed on the blog? Brilliant ideas for emails. Blog post rundown, popular mm-hmm. sense this holiday season, most important colors going into yeah. the spring. 
you could just sit down with a group of girlfriends and brainstorm a million <laughs> yeah, things, totally. I think. That could be fun. <laughs> Girls night out where you're brainstorming, you're helping me with my business. Sorry. <laughs> I'll buy the first round. <laughs> Something like that. Love it. <laughs> okay, so this makes sense. So we were talking about blocks. Are there any other blocks that you can help us with just to get us started? Another banker email, which not enough people do, but is really, really powerful, is our top reviewed products. So a bit like the bestsellers, but this one, you'd have a picture of the product and then the quote from the person's review. So our five-star products, our top-rated products, and that is a really easy email to put together. I mean, there's no thought involved at all. Yeah, and so much easier when the words are coming from somebody else and so much more believable, I guess. Exactly. That's another really simple banker. Go on to Google Analytics, look at your top blog posts, look at the products that people are looking at, the categories that people are looking at. All of that can give you ideas, look at what people have been talking about on Twitter or Pinterest, etc. Talk about something cool that's been going on on social media, which will increase the number of people who sign up to your social media. There's infinite ways of doing it. You've just got to kind of think. It's almost about thinking the entire time, would this make an email? Yeah. I want to say the overall consensus is calm, friendly. I'm starting to get not like the word authentic because everyone uses it already, but you don't have to look all button tied up professional with every single email. Like one email might be, you're not going to believe what happened in the workroom this week. Yeah, exactly. And some like major fail, right? Yeah. And the customers will really respond to it. They'll love that kind of behind the scenes, feeling like they're in the inner circle. Super, super powerful stuff. It's something which we all don't do enough of in our businesses is let people in to see what's really going on. And it's something which someone producing their own products in this space, as I said earlier, this is what you have ahead of all the other retailers is that humanity to the business. Yeah. The other thing that I'm thinking for emails, we're just like shooting off bunches of ideas right now, brainstorming, right? Is when people get on your list, if they feel like they're treated as a special group, so maybe they get to see the first new line that's coming out. Or if you're doing some type of a limited collection, they get to see it first to have the best opportunity to get it before it's all gone. Things like that. That information then can be delivered in an email. Definitely. And actually, you can even take it to the level before, which is share with them pictures of your mock-ups, your test products and go, mm-hmm. we're thinking of doing one of these for Christmas. What do you think? Or we're thinking of doing this, but we're not sure whether to do it in green or blue. Which color would you like? And get them almost to vote and define what your new products are. That's a great way of getting them involved. Yeah. And if they reply to your email, then that's going to help with your deliverability. Exactly. And neuroscience tells us that if someone's been involved in the creation of something, they're more likely to buy it. So then if they vote for the green one, then when the green one's ready, you email them and go, you selected and here is the product. You email the whole list and go, due to your votes, we did the green one. It's now available to buy. Get it today, etc, etc. And I thought of another idea that I really should have mentioned earlier, which is you should have an inbox, not your normal inbox, another email inbox where you sign up to other people selling similar product to you. So as when you stuck for ideas, or when you're trying to come up with ideas, you can go into it and you can just scroll through all your competitors' emails and what they're up to and what they're doing or other people who are marketing to a similar customer group or people whose emails you just think are really, really creative. 
And that will give you a huge bank of resources to look at and ideas when you need it. Don't do it in your own inbox or it will just become overwhelming. So do it on a separate one. Right. So that's just competitive research. Yes. You're giving us permission. It's not cheating or anything because you're going to add your own spin to it, right? You're not going to totally copy, but you're going to get inspiration, add your own spin. It's just triggering ideas, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. I love, love, love that example. All right. Wonderful. So here's what we need to do is we need to keep optimizing wherever we are right now. We need to think about advancing our email strategy. So if you haven't started, (laughs) it's time to start. We've talked about the platforms you can use. We've talked about how to attract people in so that they will share their email with you. And we've talked about how to put together a calendar and millions of options. Well, maybe not millions, but lots of options on topics and content that you can do for email. And they don't have to be long either. And you can schedule them out in advance, right? Just like you can do the calendar, you can schedule them out in advance. Yes, you can. So maybe how would you direct people that you're working with, Chloe? Would you suggest maybe, well, I'm thinking of like five things at a time, which is why I'm stuttering. (laughs) But one thing you could do is just say one day a month is going to be to do your four emails. Or whether it's you or someone else on your team who's doing them. Monday afternoon, first week of the month, we're doing all of our emails. Or you could also do a mass take, not 100% of your week, I get it, but like all the holidays you already know. The things that are already set to go, just schedule those in so that I would say maybe a good quarter of the calendar could already be done if you really blacked off time, like the slow period, that kind of thing, when you're not tired and recovering from the holidays, a little bit after that. (laughs) Yeah, completely. And even if it's something like, like we were saying about the example where you have, you've been to the event and you're going to do like an email after the craft show to say what happened and the key things, you can set up probably 30% of that email before you even go to the show. And then when you get back from the show, when there's a whole load of stuff to do the week after a show, unpacking, fulfilling other orders, et cetera, et cetera, catching up with everything you didn't do whilst you're at the show. So you reducing the workload of that email by 30%, A, makes it quicker to finish it and get it out, but it also makes it less daunting. Finishing an email feels so much less hard work than starting an email. Right, for sure. So all of this sounds really doable. And... Apart from overall sales, which I guess would be the obvious trigger, how do we know if we're doing well with our email marketing? You want to keep a look on your open rates and your click rates. So the open rates is the number of people who received it who opened, which I don't like to give benchmarks because I think your your real benchmark for these numbers is against how it's worked in the past for you. Because if you've only started recruiting, getting people to sign up to your emails in the last three months, you're going to have a much higher open rate than someone who's got three years worth of data sat there. So it's all about seeing how it performed versus your last week versus the other weeks you've done. And then you'll get an idea of what subjects work. So keep an eye on the open rates. Broadly, they should be somewhere north of 20%. If you're over 30%, congrats, you're doing really well. You've got a really engaged list. Then your click rates are the percentage of the people who opened who then went through to the website because obviously the point of these emails is to get people to your website and that again you're looking somewhere north of 15% is good but I'm um, double check what percentage you're looking at because sometimes you might be looking at a click rate that's as a percentage of the number you sent 
And what I'm talking about is, is a percentage of the number of people who opened. So if you look at it and it looks terribly small, you're probably looking at the percentage of sent, not the percentage of opened. Okay, which is one final very important point, which is there should be some type of call to action or ability for people mm. to get over to your website in every single email. Yes. But not necessarily promoting your products in every single email. No, you're not necessarily putting the product in and saying buy this, but you want to make sure there's links through. So as if someone's inspired, they want to go and have a look around. Yeah. Yeah. It could even be something like see more about company name with a link, things like that. Okay. Wonderful. This has been so helpful. So many ideas. I love that we just got into all of these multiple brainstorming (laughs) ideas because some will resonate more with one group than another. But we've definitely given some great content ideas too, which like we've talked about is often the stumbling block. So thank you so, so much for all of this conversation and letting us pick your brain here with that. My pleasure. Will you share with us a little bit more about what is encompassed under all of your e-commerce master plan? Yeah, sure. So yeah, an evolving feast is e-commerce master plan, I think. (laughs) But you will find all of what I'm about to mention at ecommercemasterplan.com. So that's the best place to go. So we now have two podcasts because one just wasn't enough. One, I interview a retailer every week. It's called the e-commerce master plan podcast. Been going for five years. It astounds me how many people listen every week. It's so cool that I get to help so many people improve their businesses. And we just share retailer stories. So everyone from huge businesses like Tesco and Yandy, right the way through to startups. There's always something interesting and inspiring in there. And then the other podcast is the new one that's called Keep Optimizing. Can you tell where I got the name? (laughs) And that one, each month we focus on a different marketing method. So we get deep into it. So it might be SEO or it might be Google ads, Facebook ads, content, email. And each week I speak to a different expert on that topic. And then I've also written a number of books on e-commerce, the most recent one of which and the one which most clearly ties into what we've been talking about today. It's called e-commerce marketing, how to get traffic that buys to your website. And it's on Amazon as paperback, ebook, so Kindle ebook and audio book. I nearly forgot how to say. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I'm up to. Wonderful. So loads of resources available to you over there. So make sure if you're interested, jump over to e-commerce master plan. We'll have the links in the show notes, of course. Now, Chloe, I'm going to put you a little bit in the future here. You'd referenced that you have a few things as you're walking up and down your stairs that are in the back of your mind of things that you need to do. What would you be willing to share with us? Where are you going in the future? Oh, wow. So the biggest thing I'm working on at the moment is I am trying to stop doing any client work because I've kind of been moving away from being a consultant and towards being an advisor. And so the big project at the moment is for 2021 for me to not do any client work. So I'm trying to find a way which enables me to still help retailers who need that one on one help, but without me actually having to do it. And that's the thing when you're in the shower or you've gone for a walk, that's the thing that's buzzing around in my subconscious. Mm -hmm. Well, so you're ramping down one area and ramping up another area, sounds like. Yeah, that's the theory. So yeah, ask me in 12 months if it's worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got to have the vision before it can happen. So I would say you're on the right track there. You do. And I suspect what I start with in January will be completely different to what I'm doing to solve the problem in October because I still want to help retailers, but I don't have the bandwidth to do it as well as I know it could be done by other mm-hmm. people. But it's how to put those links together. 
best of luck to that. And thank you once again so much for sharing all of this fabulous information with us today. I really appreciate having you on. My pleasure. It's been great hanging out with you, Sue, and I hope it's helped everybody. You can't see me here, but I'm jumping up and down with delight at what a fabulous conversation this was. I mean, I can't even count how many great ideas we covered for email content. And we all know it to be true. The hardest thing to do is to come up with what to say in our emails. Now you have topics galore. Next week, we'll hear from a longtime business owner who almost shut down. I mean, she fell out of love with her business, but catch this, because of one very difficult client. You'll hear how she reignited her flame to come back stronger than ever. For now, thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, please leave a rating and review. That means so much to me and helps the show get seen by other makers. A great way to pay it forward. Be safe and well, and I'll see you next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 